Anybody excited to gather in agreement today underneath the name of Jesus? Trace, listen to me, really. I do hope you can see it. Like, I really do hope you can see it right now. I hope you can see the evidence of the Holy Spirit moving in the life of this church right now. I hope you can see the evidence of life change that's happening because of the culture that we have built, which is a huge attribute to you because you help us to build that culture. Last week, we had two people that were baptized here at Trace, and we need to give it up because every life change for Jesus is worth celebrating. But it also helped us to hit a milestone as a church. You ready for this? Last week, we're a five-year-old church. Last week, we hit 200 total baptisms in the life of this church. <clears throat> and then this past Wednesday, we celebrated as over 60 people uh, went through and finished our 10-week rooted experience. And we came together this past Wednesday, and we worshiped, and we celebrated, and we heard stories of life change, and we watched three more people get baptized on Wednesday. Yeah, you can keep clapping. It's okay this morning to keep ca clapping and celebrating what God is doing. And listen, there's so many more people that are reaching out to us, letting us know that they can feel the Spirit of God working in their life. Some of them ready to fully surrender their life in baptism. Others just trying to make those adjustments to define some lines of where they know God wants them to be in their life and in their faith. And I also want to celebrate a few of you, or actually many of you, that took us up on the challenge that I gave you several weeks ago. I talked about how as a church, we were below budget for about three months of 17%, and I asked everyone, hey, can we just move to the right together, right? The church that sacrifices together is the church that's going to be strengthened together. And I asked you to move to the right, and if you don't know what I mean by that, there's a, there's a little card in the seat back pocket in front of you that talked about that and how we could, if we all just move to the right in increments of 2%, if you're not giving anything, maybe start giving 2%. If you're giving 6%, maybe start giving 8%. And so many of you took us up on that, and last month, October, we exceeded our budget, but listen to me, yeah, you can clap in a second, but listen to me. I'm not so much worried about whether or not you give so that we can pay the bills. I want you to give because you want to be faithful to Jesus. I want you to give because you know that when God has your money and you're not keeping it all for yourself, that you're growing on what it looks like to live through Jesus. Because if we hold on to all of it for ourselves, there's no way that we can also represent a generous life. And Jesus was the most generous person that you'll ever meet. Our God is generous that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I'm preaching this morning. Morning. Come on, somebody. <clears throat> and I want to see this continue to grow, guys. I want to see this spirit continue to grow. I don't know how we pour fuel on it, but I want to pour fuel on it because I continue to hear even more examples of life change of how so many of you are feeling the promptings of the Holy Spirit and you're saying yes, right? Because the opposite of that is stiff arming the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I did that for the majority part of my younger life where I knew what God was calling me to do. I knew who, who he was calling me to be, but I just kept stiff arming the Holy Spirit, stiff arming the Holy Spirit so that I could live in my own pleasure. And I'm hearing more examples of how so many of you are hearing from the Holy Spirit and you're saying yes. And every time you say yes to the Holy Spirit, you're learning what it looks like to live through Jesus. And the more that you learn what it looks like to li live through Jesus, I promise you, you're going to actually remove obstacles for other people to get to Jesus themselves. I want to grow that. But I also want to acknowledge, listen, like we're a messy church, right? And so we're not going to just get up here and talk with a lot of platitudes and over-sensationalize what could actually be happening in some of your lives because there's no doubt that some of you are in here today and you're wrestling with some doubts. You're wrestling with some faith. I need to fix this. There it is. Okay. I still have my name tag on there, too. Nice name tag. Name tag November. Give it up for name tag November. Some of you are wrestling with some doubts. Some of you are lacking some faith. 
Maybe some of you would go as far as to say, I've lost hope. And if that happens to be any of you, which I have no doubt that there's some of you that that represents, I want to tell you something that I mentioned to a friend this past week. If you need to, borrow hope from me. And that may sound weird. And the reason I tell you that is because there's a fervency in my faith right now that I haven't experienced in a long time. And so if you need to, borrow hope from me because your pastor's fired up right now. I don't know if I've ever been as determined as I am today to help you to learn what it looks like to stand firm in the gospel and to stand firm in what it means to live through Jesus. And so if you need to, borrow some hope from me. And not just the kind of hope that causes you to hang on, but the kind of hope that emboldens you to want to give everything for Jesus now. Yes, heaven is coming, and it's going to be incredible. And I have no doubt in my mind that when we all get there, when we experience that overwhelming love that the Bible says surpasses our understanding, when we first experience that overwhelming sense of love by being in the presence of Jesus, all of us will want to go back and wish that we would, we would have done more. So let's do it now. Yes, hope is coming in the hope of heaven, but we have hope today. Hope is ours to take today. And so if you need some, if you need some, borrow it from me. Because I believe in him who is able to do immeasurably more, immeasurably more than what we could ever ask or imagine, according to the power that is not at work within you, that is not at work within me, but it's at work within us. So Trace, let's do this together. And this had nothing to do with my sermon. I just had to get it out. Is that all right? I just had to get it out. So I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to make a hard transition. Father, Lord, we just ask that you come and that you continue to do your will in this church and through me. And Father, you know that even some of the, the small refinements that I've made in my faith recently, things that you made apparent to me, things that were causing too much comfort in my life, I can feel that as I surrendered even those over to you, God, I'm feeling the presence of your Holy Spirit more active in my life. I want that for everyone in this room. All of us have a tendency to stiff arm the Holy Spirit. All of us have a tendency to, to pivot and kind of move in a direction that's more out of our own selfish desires and pleasures. But God, I pray that you would come and have your way with us, that you would have your way within this church. And so God, do, continue to do what only you can do. We love you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. All right, hard pivot. You ready? A couple weeks ago, we kicked off this series called Lines, and we determined that we need to DTL. We need to define some lines. We need to define some lines. And I said, hey, man, if you're anything like me, and since most of us are like the rest of us, you probably are, if you're anything like me, you've probably crossed some lines in your life, right? And the lines that are the easiest ones to cross are the ones that we haven't clearly defined right? And some of you, like, you knew that that line was there. Maybe others, we kind of just kind of slowly drifted in the wrong direction. Others of you, like, you were, you were line dancers, like, hey, you know, there we go. Everybody clap your, no, don't do that. Like, some of you knew what you were doing, and I've been there, and I would tell you, man, in college, I was probably, I, I minored in professional line crossing, okay? Like, I get it. We've all been there, and so it's incredibly apparent it is to me, and it should be to you, that if we're devoted to living through Jesus, that we need to clearly define some lines, some lines that we already know that God wouldn't want us to cross, because if we don't clearly define them, those are going to be the easiest lines to cross. And then last week, I got up here and I talked to us about how love defines lines. And if love defines lines, it makes complete sense 
that we would try to arrive at the most accurate understanding of love that we possibly can. And so what we did is we opened up God's word and we looked at one of John's letters in 1 John and we also looked at John's gospel and we determined that the most accurate way that we could biblically define love is this right here. That the fullness of grace plus the fullness of truth is God's complete love. Which means when love lacks grace, it's incomplete. And when love lacks truth, it's incomplete. And so if we don't get this right, no, no, not only will we misrepresent what love is, we'll often start defining the line of love at the lowest common denominator. And the lowest common denominator of how we define love is whatever is going to be to our own personal convenience in any given situation. So that leads me to today. And Trace, today what I want to do is I want to talk about uh, a line that I feel like either needs to be defined or maybe it needs to be redefined around the subject of masculinity or manhood, and more specifically, the role of a Christian man. Now, if you're my age or older, you know that the debate on this subject is not a new debate, but I would say that the conclusions that people are arriving at because of this debate are new. And if you were to ask me why so many people have abandoned, have jumped ship on the traditional view of what it means to be a Christian man that we have ascribed to for the last couple thousand years, I would say it would be this right here, toxic masculinity. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about this. I want to define or redefine some lines around masculinity, but I want to set some ground rules really quick, okay? I want to set some ground rules because anytime I talk about something like this that probably will bring about a lot of opinions, surface a lot of opinions, and there's going to be maybe some tension around this subject even, one of the things that I have to do is I have to, I have to teach around what I call landmines. And the reason there are landmines when it comes to this subject is because depending on like who you listen to, what you ascribe to, depending on what's informing your bias, because we all have bias, we agree there, right? We all have bias. And depending on what's informing that bias, I may try to speak something, I may try to, to teach us something with a very specific intent, but because of your bias, you will hear something completely different. So here's what I'm gonna ask of you. Whatever that bias may be, and we all have it, can I ask that you just shelf it? for the next 20 minutes, that's it. Just shelf it for the next 19 minutes and 34 seconds. Just, just shelf it and let's allow God's word to breathe, right? Let's just allow God's word to breathe because I believe if we'll just go back to the word, if we'll go back to the text and see how God defined this, I don't think by the time I get done teaching on this today that anybody really is gonna have any problem with what I have to say. And, and I'll be clear, like, Something I have to work really hard on because I've got my own bias is that when I get up here that I don't teach from that bias. And to be honest with you, there are things in the Bible that I don't even like. There are some things that the Bible mentions that I don't even like. But if I'm going to take this position seriously and if I'm gonna make sure that I'm being informed by scripture first, then I've gotta make sure that I shelf my bias as well. And so my hope is that we'll all come to the table today, shelving our bias, whatever it may be, just allow God's word to breathe. And my guess is that we'll all land in a place that we feel, if nothing else, there's more clarity on the subject of masculinity and manhood. Now we should probably ask the question, why has toxic masculinity become such a strong narrative in our society? 
And I can assure you it's not because of some Democratic or Republican agenda. It's not because feminists are trying to take over the world. The reason why toxic masculinity has become a mantra for so many is because, you ready? It's true. It's a problem. And if we don't own up to that first, there's absolutely no reason why we should move forward with this conversation. And for the sake of clarity, I don't want to get into like corporate America. I don't want to talk about politics or any other side of this argument. But what I do want to do, listen to me, is confess that the mass majority of spiritual abuse that has taken place within the church is almost exclusively because of a misuse and abuse of men in leadership. And so listen to me. If you've been on the other side of toxic male leadership in a church, I see you. I see you. And I fully acknowledge that this has been a much bigger problem than what people in my position often want to admit. And to be clear, it's not just been in the church. Historically, Christian men and husbands have not only diminished and demeaned women's voices in the church, but they've demanded their wives to be submissive in the home. This is not what God had in mind when he gave men the mantle of leadership. And fellas, listen, we just have to acknowledge that this has happened. We have to acknowledge that this has happened, and in times, at times it's been incredibly unhealthy, and it has led to a high level of hesitation when it comes to trusting men in positions of authority. Now, to be clear, and we need to be, I would strongly argue that there are just as many examples, if not more, of men leading well in the church and men leading well in the home. But you know as well as I do, these won't make the headlines. And to be clear, I think we would all agree that there are plenty of examples of toxic feminism, toxic leaders, whether male or female. Anybody ever met a toxic teenager or two? Yeah? Yeah, and if one's sitting beside you right now, just be like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And so listen to me, okay? I want to acknowledge on one hand that this is a big problem, but I also want to acknowledge on the other hand that we need to bring attention to how we're mishandling the problem, how we're starting to dismantle something that God designed. And so I want to make sure that we don't go so far in what I often call a pendulum swing, where it's like, yes, we, we see that there's a problem, and in maybe our attempt to solve the problem, we swing the pendulum so far in the other direction that it creates a bigger problem. Let me illustrate it this way. If you lead an organization that you notice, like if you're in a leadership position at all, and you notice that there's a problem, you don't dismantle it. You, you don't just kind of bow out and act like it's not a problem because you've worked really hard to probably put a culture in place that you want to reinforce, like why we have those things in place to begin with. And so you don't just dismantle it and get rid of it altogether. You deal with the problem. Maybe you've worked for an organization or a leader at some point in time and you found out that there was a policy in place and it was a ridiculous policy. And the reason why there was a ridiculous policy in place is because of Pat. Like, Pat was the problem, but nobody wanted to talk to Pat. Instead, they put, in, put together a ridiculous policy that affected everyone because nobody would deal with the problem, and Pat was the problem. And by the way, if your name's Pat, I'm sorry, I just needed a name for the sake of illustration. Listen to me. Maybe you need to write this down. If we try to deconstruct something that God designed, it will likely lead to more damage. When we attempt to deconstruct something, that God designed, 
it will likely lead to more damage. And if I had time, I could unravel the last 20 years and how this has played out in our society. So our response to toxic masculinity is not to deconstruct what God designed, but instead define some clear lines. I believe God has designed and designated men to lead their homes through service and sacrifice. And so I don't want to dismantle this. Listen to me. I want to develop this because the next generation needs more examples of godly men who are willing to stay in the fight and win the battles that matter the most. Can I get an amen this morning? And so let me begin by kind of building a biblical framework for us that I think will be helpful. Maybe it'll be somewhat elementary to some of you that have been doing this for a while, but I think it's a good, it's a good thing just to have a refresher course for all of us in this. In Genesis chapter one, God says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. I'm gonna get into this a little bit next week too, but guys, this is incredibly beautiful. We cannot complete the image of God without a male and a female. We cannot complete the image of God without a, a man and a woman. It takes both of us. So this has never been about a conversation of value or importance. It's about roles and responsibilities. In Galatians chapter three, let me emphasize this point further. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you are all what? One, everybody say one, one in Christ Jesus. So we are the same in value and importance, but not in responsibility. And if I could point to one thing of why toxic masculinity has become such a big problem, why the narrative of toxic masculinity has made so many headlines, and why even Christians have started to abandon God's original design for men and women, it would be because men didn't take the responsibility, but they tried to usurp their authority. And when authority, somebody needs to write this down, when authority becomes greater than a responsibility, it's always gonna lead to toxicity. Can I say it again? When authority becomes greater than your responsibility, it will always lead to toxicity. And so what I want to do is I want to point to, and I could, we could go into a lot of different Bible passages. I'm going to point to Ephesians chapter 5 today on a framework that I think Paul gives us that we can't, we can't walk away from. After we read this passage, you can't walk away from it. I would say you can't read the New Testament and walk away with the conclusion that men own the majority of responsibility, not authority. Responsibility. And if you're a guy in here and you're like, well, I didn't sign up for that, well, too bad because you're a dude, and we have more responsibility. So Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Now, this is huge, because I'm already, I'm going to blow somebody's mind right now. And further, submit to one another. Now, when guys read this, historically, they didn't pay attention to that part. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means, what's this means? It means this is what submission looks like for wives. But to be clear, submit to one another, that means there's probably something coming up for the dudes as well. So for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. 
For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Strong language, I know. He's the savior of his body, the church, as the church submits to Christ. So wives should submit to your husbands in everything. And ladies, when you hear how your husbands are supposed to lead, this part of submission, and again, this is just one part of submission. Guys have a submission part too. But when guys lead the way that Christ has called them to leave, lead, I promise you, you won't have any problem with that. For husbands, this means, what's this? Submit to one another, right? Jump back. For husbands, what it means to submit to one another. So here's our part, fellas. For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and he gave his life up for her. Now, sometimes when we read that passage, we think, the, the one event where Jesus just gave up his life, right? He surrendered his life. He died for us on a cross. But I want you to think of it with a broader sweep, with a broader context, because Jesus gave up his entire life. Throughout his 33 years of life, he was giving it up for the church, not sinning, not moving forward with his personal agenda, but with the agenda of his heavenly father. And so husbands, just as Christ loved the church and gave his life up for her. And so what does that look like? If I could boil it down with two words, it's service and sacrifice. Even Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. And so if we're gonna model what it looks like to love our wives, to submit to our wives as Christ did to the church, then we give our life up for her through the two lenses of service and sacrifice to make her holy and clean washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to represent, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Man, heavy burden there. A lot of responsibility there, isn't there? And so when we usurp authority where there should be responsibility, it's always gonna lead to toxicity. Now, if you've been coming for a while, don't jump to that next text just yet. If you've been coming for a while, you know that I've taught on several different things. And one of the things that I have used to kind of help us define context in what we're reading in the Bible, because context is key, right? A verse can never mean what it never meant. And so to help us define context, I've used the phrase, was that meant for a moment in time or was that meant for all time? Was that meant, like passage we just read, was that meant for a moment in time or was that meant for all time? And many would argue that that was meant for a moment in time, that that's not really how things operate today. And if that happens to be you, I wanna show you what Paul says next. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united as one. Everybody say one. This is a great mystery. We're going to revisit this next week too. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration. Don't miss this. Ready? It is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. That is divine language. Here Paul is actually saying there's a divine design to what I just mentioned. When it comes to how the wife submits to the husband and how the husband submits to the wife, there's a divine design behind it as Christ and the church are one. He's illustrating it between the relationship between Jesus and the church. And if you begin to dismantle that, I would just tell you to better be careful. You, just, you better be careful. So again, I say each man must love his wife, and he's kind of summing it up here, right? So again, I say each man must love his wife 
as he loves himself, and the wife must love, I'm sorry, must respect her husband. It's impossible, folks. It's impossible to read the New Testament and not come to the conclusion that men carry the weight of responsibility. God has given men a unique role. He's given women a unique role. And the unique role of men and masculinity, we see it play out positively and negatively, socially, spiritually, in the family. But even if you study the field of, of psychology, even the field of psychology will show you the unique influence that men have specifically in the lives of your kids. And I really don't need to convince you guys of this because you get it. You cannot deny the unique influence that men have been given. And men, listen to me. When we use this unique influence to elevate our authority, it will always lead to toxicity. But when we step up, when we step up and we own our responsibility, it creates a stronger foundation of faith for everyone else around you. And some of you have experienced that in a positive way, and some of you know what that's like because that was neglected in your life. I would happen to be one of those in my younger life, which is why I'm so committed to developing young men, which is why I'm so committed to helping men step up and, and grab on and to take hold of the God-given role that, that God has given you, that God has designed. And so listen to me. I want to be really clear about this. As your pastor... I'm not going to entertain any idea that deconstructs God's design for men, but I will commit to doing everything in my power to develop men to lead like Jesus. And if that happens, none of us will have a problem with that through service and sacrifice. This is one reason why we're completely, completely kind of just doing an overhaul of our men's ministry that we're gonna start brand new in January and guys, I want to give you a heads up. This will not be a comfortable men's ministry. This will not be a comfortable men's ministry. But it will be an effective one. Now, some of you, and I'm going to conclude here because I want to have a little bit extra time during our response time today. You heard me say it a little bit earlier. This is a messy church. This is a place where you can stop pretending because you can't hide and heal at the same time. And the picture that I just painted is how God wanted it to be designed. The picture that I just painted is what the Bible teaches us, and I wanted to make sure that I stayed true to that. But that's not always how it pans out, is it? And throughout my sermon, many of you were saying, yeah, but, Aaron, like, if, if you only knew. Like, I wish that was my experience, but that's not been my experience. And what do I do if my husband's not and the list goes on. So what I wanna do is I'm gonna pray for us right now to conclude my sermon, and then I'm gonna lead us into a time of response where I, I wanna acknowledge some of those things. And if I can, if God can use my voice this morning, I wanna help bring some healing maybe to some of those things and maybe even give you some practical steps of how you figure it out from this point forward. So let me pray for us. Father, First thing I wanna say is just thank you for how clear your word is. God, thank you for how clearly you define things for us. And yeah, there's no doubt that we have deviated from what you've originally designed and 
things don't always go the way that they're supposed to. Oftentimes they don't. And that leads us to kind of throw our arms up in the air and maybe we even start to dismantle something, to deconstruct something that you designed for a very specific purpose. And God, I think all of us probably admit we've, maybe if I'm just speaking for guys, we've, we've screwed this up to some extent. And so God, I pray that as we lead into a time response, as we come back to the cross, we remember what's made available to us. We remember what you're capable of, even in the midst of our messy situation. God, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So some of you are here today and ladies, I'll talk to you. And some of the things that I just described you might say, man, I wish my husband would have, will do, and it's been really hard for you and you're not really sure what to do in a situation like this because you would have no problem on your side of the submission, but we're, again, we're submitting to one another, but on your side of submission, you'd have no problem with that if your husband would actually fill in the blank. And so here's what I would tell you to do especially if there are kids involved. Somebody's got to lead them to Jesus. Somebody's got to show an example of what it looks like to live through Jesus, and we can't control anyone. And so if you have to, ladies, step up and lead. Become the spiritual leader of your home. I promise you God will bless that. God will bless that. Lead your kids to Jesus. Show them through example what it looks like to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and follow through on them. Don't wait for your husband, but keep praying for him. Fellas, we've all messed this up to some extent. And maybe right now you're thinking through all the ways that you've screwed up and you're kind of dismissing yourself from being able to have any value anymore. Maybe it's a divorce situation. Again, I know there's a lot of messy situations and what I do, I get to, I get to process through that with people all the time. I get it, listen to me, I get it. And so guys, the last thing that I want you to do today is dismiss yourself and allow the, allow the enemy to build a narrative in your mind that it's too late. That you've already screwed up enough, that you've already done the damage, you might as well just kind of call it in. Because I promise you from this day forward, if you'll just continue to submit to Jesus, if you'll continue to try to model what it looks like to live through Jesus, if you'll listen to the Holy Spirit and take every opportunity you can to speak truth and grace into the lives of your children and into your family and to the people around you, God will bless that. I can easily look back in my rearview mirror and come up with plenty of examples to say, well, it's too late now but it's never too late. Hope is ours to take today because Jesus is fully capable. I'm gonna lead us in a time of response where we come back to the cross and around the room, you see the crosses on their side. There's some communion elements there and we're gonna remember what Jesus is capable of beginning with him walking out of a grave and defeating death so that we can have life. And on those communion cups or in those communion cups is a little cracker that represents his body that hung on that cross for us. And in that cup is some juice that represents his blood that was spilled out for the forgiveness of our sins, which means no matter how many screw-ups, no matter how your story reads up until today, you don't, have to walk with, you don't have to walk with shame. You don't have to walk with guilt. He came to take that from you, not put it on you. 
And so as you take that cup today, I pray that you are reminded of him who is able to do immeasurably more than what you could ever ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. If you're here today and it's just something's eating you up inside, we've got some people that'll be in the back with blue shirts on that would love to pray for you. Whatever that may be, maybe it's has something to do with my sermon today, maybe it doesn't, but they'd love the opportunity to pray for you if you'd rather be a little bit more discreet about it. We've got black tables back there with some cards that you can write out a prayer request. Hope is ours to take today. Let me pray. So Father, in this moment, I pray that no matter what anyone's given situation looks like, no matter how messy, no matter how hopeless it may feel, God, that you would remind them that there's always hope, that the power that raised you from the grave exists within us, especially as a body of believers, as we gather in agreement, knowing what you're capable of. And so, Lord, if there's any narratives that need to be spun out of people's mind today because they built this narrative that just is breeding into this spirit of hopelessness and it's too late now and I'm not worthy or whatever it may be, God, that you would spin that narrative out and you would replace it with your compassion and your mercy and your love and your faithfulness and your forgiveness. So God, meet us in this moment. We pray it's a thin space that we truly do feel just a little bit closer to you because of our desire to fully surrender to you. So God, meet us right here, right now. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Feel free to respond.